Well, good morning. If you'll turn together, I think maybe you can put it on the screen, Revelation chapter 3, verse, verses 14 through 22. Praise the Lord. Amen. I got a text this morning from Pastor Richard around 815, praying for you that the Spirit of God would just move. And I thank him for that. I thank him for the opportunity to be able to preach. Pastors do not quickly give away their pulpit while they're away. I appreciate that opportunity for him, for, for me, that he did that for us. He's done that for multiple times for us, but amen. Last week, we talked about the Church of Philadelphia. This is a challenging week. <laughs> we went from the highest of heights to the lowest of lows. We're going to talk this morning about the church at Laodicea. It is known as the lukewarm church. Boy, oh boy, it's going to be quiet. I hope it's not going to be quiet. The things that we read in the Bible, the Bible says they're for our admonition, for our spiritual growth, for us being able to look in the mirror and see and say, I got to walk away from that. And God's got something better for me. So what we see in the scriptures is something for our own, just like a parent brings things to their children for their benefit. Remember, we are children of God. But let me give you a little bit of background and introduction into Laodicea um, because we've dealt with the, 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 the previous six churches. Laodicea was located on a very important trade route throughout Asia that led all the way to Colossae. It's about 10 miles away from Colossae, and it's about 40 miles away from the church we dealt with last week, Philadelphia. It was a very wealthy city. As a matter of fact, because of its wealth, it was able, it was able to pick itself up 30 years prior when it was destroyed by an earthquake. The wealth and its resolve and its self-sufficiency, they brought themselves back up, kind of indicative of how we are today. You know, nothing can stop us. It was, it had a thriving textile trade. In other words, it was good for clothes. It was famous actually for its garments and clothes that were woven from a very special wool found only in Laodicea. And it was also famous for its medicine, especially the eye salve that they would use, mix it with water for physical eye ailments. But despite all of its pluses and all of its wealth and all of its self-sufficiency, it lacked a good water supply. It reached six miles north, and Hierapolis was known for its healing hot water springs. It also received water from Colossae. I mentioned earlier it was 10 miles away. Colossae was known for its refreshing cold water springs. So it's got hot from one side, cold from another side. And the only way they could get water was through cement or concrete stone aqueducts that poured the water in from wherever it was coming from. 
But as you can figure out where I'm going, by the time it got to where it was going, that water was no longer hot for its medicinal purposes, no longer cold for its refreshing purposes. It was just lukewarm. As a matter of fact, it wasn't just lukewarm. Anything that travels through stone and rocks, whatever, it ended up having a bitter and a very chalky taste-like. Isn't it, isn't it ironic that Jesus mentions to them about wealth, about clothing, about healing ointment, and about water in these few scripture verses that we're going to read? Do you know what we can gather from that? We know that Jesus knows where we live. He knows exactly where we live. Oh, we could change our address if you want, physically speaking, but he knows exactly where we live. And he uses the very things that they are living in to talk to them about why they veered off. Doesn't God do that with us if we'll allow him to? I got one amen anyway. That's the background. Now, Jesus introduces himself. Listen, you've, you know, you've, how we've introduced ourselves to people or we introduce our spouse or somebody that we're with to another person. Boy, does Jesus introduce himself. Look at verse 14. And to the church, I'm sorry, to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of, of all creation. Now, the amen. We all say amen. When someone says something, we say amen. It means so be it. In other words, I'm with you, exclamation point. When will it get accomplished? It refers to the sovereignty of God. Listen, behind all human events. Nothing takes God off guard. Corona didn't take God off guard. Your financial problem didn't take God off guard. Our physical illnesses don't take God off guard. He is sovereign behind all of human events, whether they're good or sometimes when they're not so good. We could say when they're bad, okay? We have a way of changing words around the culture that we live in today instead of just saying what it is. That's another topic we'll talk about shortly. He calls himself the faithful. And you know what? Listen, uh, there's a difference. I'm going to give you a little English class. There's a big difference between the word a and the word the. A is an indefinite article. It could refer to a lot of different things, but the is called a definite article. That means they're the only one. Okay? He refers himself to the faithful and true witness, not just any old guy coming by. Isaiah 65, 16 refers to God as, quote, unquote, the God of truth. Oh, Pilate said, what is truth? Today's society is saying, what's truth? It literally means the God of amen, exclamation point, if we could. That phrase or that term declares the veracity or the truth of something. And nowadays, truth is so fickle and wishy-washy, we don't know what it is. But Jesus makes it clear, I am the truth. As a matter of fact, he said to the disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Listen. Second part is just as important. No one can go to the Father except through me, he said. Don't make it a, uh, it's the. Christ, as he's calling himself these things, embodies him, 
the very faithfulness and truth in all he says and all he does. He's saying these things because he's about to lay a boom on them. And he has to explain to them, I have the right and the authority to lay the boom on you. But I also have the right and the power to fix it, if you want. So he's making it clear. He embodies all the faithfulness and the truth and all that. He, he doesn't just say things to say things, and he doesn't just do things to do things. He is the personification of authenticity. He is the beginning, the end. He's the alpha, the omega. He is it. He is he. He said, I am. And when he said, I am, people fell. And they understood. I wish we could. He says all that because he separates himself or characterizes himself different from the Laodiceans who he doesn't use the word, but he calls them hypocrites. He is also identifies himself as the beginning of the creation of God. He is the ruler of God's creation, and he is sovereign over all of it because he was there from the very beginning. And because it says in John 1 verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made. So he has the right and the authority to say, I'm saying it because I speak it, and it is. So what can we gather all that? Not only does Jesus know where we live, Jesus calls it like he sees it. Not like you and me do. We just throw it up against the wall just for the sake of throwing it up and causing a big ruckus. But he calls it like he sees it because his eyes are piercing right through all the facades and all the chicanery that's going on. He calls it like he sees it. Then in the next verse, verses 15 through 17, Jesus identifies himself. Oh boy, let's look at this. Because you say, I'm sorry, he's already identified himself. He identifies them. I've told you what I'm like. Oh boy. Now I'm going to tell you what you're like. Hold on to, the, hold on to your seats. It's going to be a long, bumpy ride. Verse 15 through 17, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and you don't even know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Let's stop right there. Of all the churches that we've done, the six previous churches, Laodicea is the only church of the seven that receives no commendation. I didn't say condemnation. Commendation. No pat on the back. No attaboy. No good job. Good job well done. None. It's the only one of the seven because of their spiritual condition. Jesus said, I know your works. Not just the things that you do. I know you. I know what you do. Listen, 
why you do it, how you do it. I know your deeds. He knew what they were like. You know, there's a saying uh, that someone said, you can fool some of the people all of the time, and you can fool all of the people some of the time, but you can fool God none of the time. None of the time. We think we did, but we didn't. And Jesus says, I know you. He's, this is how he knows them. Did I read 15 through 17? You're neither cold nor hot. You're lukewarm. They claim, this is the, I said earlier that he separated himself from characteristics because they were hypocritical. They said they were one thing, but they were really something else. In the earlier days of, of Christianity in this area, we would have a saying, you know, don't become like a chameleon that blends in with, his, with its environment. Always making people pleased by the way they turn their color so that they can adapt to what's going on. They were neither hot nor cold. I'm not sure if there's a reason why he says cold or hot first, cold first and hot. I don't know, but I use it that way. So they were neither cold nor hot. They were lukewarm. Their words did not line up, nor did they match with their actions. Their works or their efforts or their deeds, listen, here we're going to hit home. They were half-hearted. They were insincere. They were self-centered. Well, how do you figure that one? They were the result of human effort, not the result of Christ-like love or Holy Spirit power. They pulled by their bootstraps and made the city back to what it belonged even after the earthquake. But there was no Holy Spirit power. Listen, we can run on our own gasoline. Eventually, it's going to run dry. And you can run on fumes for a while, and you'll be okay. But somewhere along the road, that car's going to pull over and, get, and stop. Because there's going to be nothing left in the tank. And Christians, we could be like that. We'll go by on such fumes. Uh, I, I, nothing. The other day, I had to go run an errand, and I used my wife's car. And before I left, she said, make sure you get gas first. And I didn't. And then I realized, I've never seen the gauge so low in my life. And then I panicked because I couldn't find a gas station close by. You can only run on fumes so long, and then they'll run dry, and you'll be left abandoned by the road with no gas tank to go put your gas in there. Because of their lukewarm spiritual condition, listen, Jesus said he would spit them out. You remember I said earlier about how they got water? And Jesus used a lot of things of where people live to hit home with where they're at and where they should go. Just like the lukewarm water that wasn't cold enough to quench someone's thirst or hot enough to bring healing benefits, what do you do? You spit it out. He said, I'll spit you out. Their lukewarm spiritual condition, listen, made Jesus actually wish they were cold. I got to read it for you. So then, because you say uh, you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew out. Oh, i got to find the right one. I wish that you were cold or hot, verse 15. 
Now that verse has always troubled me. Jesus wants people to be cold, and I don't mean physically. And just before I came up here, I turned the heat up just a little bit because I wanted to prove a point. But he would rather want people to be cold than lukewarm. The Hebrew word throughout the psalm, sometimes at some end of the psalm, says the word selah. It says, think on that. Jesus would rather have us be cold because there's, there's still an opportunity that you will embrace the gospel and become hot. But when you're lukewarm, what do you do with that glass of lukewarm water? You pour it down the sink because it's not helping you on a hot summer day when you've been working outside in your garden or wherever you've been and you need a nice cold glass of water. They said they were rich and they were wealthy. Instead, Jesus said, you're really, listen, he covers the whole spectrum here. You're really wretched, you're miserable, and you're poor, and you're blind, and you're naked. Wow, how was he able to see that and they couldn't? It's no different than us. Sometimes we can't see what we're really like, or we don't want to see what we're really like. And Jesus has to show us what we're really like. That's what's called growth and maturity. Because if we receive that, and he says it in the, in the verse to come, he talks about, I, I rebuke and I chasten. So that we can get back on track. So that the next time, I don't go for a drive when there's no gas in the car. I, I'm smart enough to realize I'm going there first. We learn. We grow. The Laodiceans, they were more concerned. Maybe they were a little obsessed. Maybe they were overly obsessed with the opinions of others. So many people have so many opinions today. Come on. It's a very opinionated world. I, I, I find it funny sometimes. I'm clicking through, and you know what? It'll say, uh, you've been eating bananas wrong all your life. You've been driving your car wrong all your life. Like, what, what are you talking about? Everything, you've been doing this wrong all your life. Like, i got to go click onto that and see the dumb, idiotic things that they're going to say. But everyone's so opinionated. Listen, they were so concerned with somebody else's opinion. Maybe they were uh, uh, obsessed with it. In, in reality, Jesus' opinion is really the only one that will ultimately matter. In reality, what Jesus says, whether it's his opinion, oh, actually, he doesn't have an opinion. He has the truth, okay? That's all that's really going to matter in the end. And I even right now to tell you the truth. Jesus, you know what Jesus' opinion of them was? If I could bring it down to our knowledge, our terminology, you make me sick. That's basically what he said to them. You're making me sick because of you say you're one thing, but you're not. Again, the Hebrew word selah, think about that for a bit. Do we, want, do we really want to make God sick? But our actions, our attitudes, our behavior, lukewarm, I'll spit you out. So Jesus not only knows where we live, he not only calls it, like he sees it, he knows what we're really like. He knows what we're really like. 
And listen, God is not out there waiting for someone to mess it up so he could bring down the hammer. If he wanted to do that, he could have done that a long time ago. We could have been obliterated a long time ago. He knows what we're really like. And then in verse 18, he says, he gives them counsel. A little bit better than advice. He gives them counsel. You know, like it's your, your lawyer, you got caught up in a bad situation, and your lawyer says, this is what you got to do to make it right. It's not just advice, it's counsel. Verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with the salve that you may see. Buy from me, he says. Buy from me gold, not just gold, gold refined in the fire. Not just any gold. Listen, there's gold all over the place. Some of it is fool's gold. But the gold that God, Jesus is talking about is the kind that will truly make them rich. The kind that will make them rich. Jesus, in three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke told his disciples, what does it profit a man or a woman if they gain the whole world, but they lose their soul? The Laodiceans were gaining the whole world. But in the process of it, I'm going to just say they were losing their soul. I'm not going to say they lost their soul yet. In the process of it, they were losing their soul. Their salvation is what Jesus is talking about. The preoccupation, the drive, the, 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 the pull your bootstraps mentality of we'll get it done regardless. You know, the, ba the, the Babylon mentality, the tower trying to reach up to heaven. We're going to get it done with or without your help, God. What is it profit person if they gain the whole world and then they lose their salvation in the process of, of chasing after it, in the process of getting it. You might be dead the day after you get it. And then what? Somebody else is going to enjoy that labor. Then he says, buy pure white garments from me. You remember I told you early in the introduction that Laodicea was known for its, its, uh, uh, its woven cloth and that the whole, everybody wanted them. They were, they were famous, okay? He says, buy white garments from me. They are symbolic of righteousness, symbolic of what's right. The kind, uh, the kind that remove your spiritual nakedness instead of showing it off. God's clothes covers or removes our spiritual nakedness or separation. It doesn't show it off. Isaiah 61, verse 10, this, uh, the, 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 Isaiah writes, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. I, oh, I lost the track. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, for he has clothed me in the garments of salvation. He has wrapped me in a robe of righteousness. Those are the kind of clothes you want. I'm not talking about literal physical clothes, okay? Although maybe some of us need to do a little bit of intake on, in our closet, but... I'm talking about the spiritual clothes that God's talking about. The kind that clothed your past. It says that anyone who's in Christ becomes a new creation. The old things 
and all that they represent, the damage that was done is gone. The new thing and all that God wants to do and is going to do has come. Why still be clothed in the old? Old Testament reference in Zechariah chapter 3, I believe, Joshua the high priest is clothed in filthy garments. And God says, take off his filthy garments. I've redeemed him. Put on clean white clothes on him as symbolic reference that I've redeemed him. And he is who he is because of what I've done. Same for you and for me. Why go back to wearing old clothes that just represent what the world says is okay? Then he says, buy from me, I salve. If you remember, they were also known for their medical uh, medicine for eye ailments. He says, buy from me, I salve, so that you can really see. They could see physically because they were famous for this. I forgot what exactly what it was called, the, the, the name of the medication. But they couldn't see spiritually. They could see in the natural, but they were, spirit, <laughs> they were spiritually blind. They couldn't see that they were blind. Even Jesus said to the Pharisees, you say you see, but you're really blind. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a Pharisee. But we can all go down that path. And we'll see in the next couple of verses of how we can get to that path. They were content with their beautiful buildings and all the material things that money could buy. But they were so unconscious or blind to the fact of their spiritual condition. No different than today's modern church. Kind of reminds us of what's going on in today's world, today's modern church. Listen, just because it's new and improved doesn't mean it's right. Just because it's new and improved doesn't mean it's good. It's just the same old stuff with a different box on it. Have you ever seen those new, bo you know, cereal boxes, new and improved, or new? It's, it's the same stuff inside. Nothing's changed. As a matter of fact, there's less of it than there was before. That's how they do it to you, you know. They'll give you a bigger box with a brand new logo, but less stuff inside. I want the stuff inside, not with a brand new box. I, I end up recycling more boxes than I do cereal. It's a reminder of the condition of today's modern church. So listen, not only does Jesus know where we live, not only does he call it like he sees it, and not only does he know what we really like, he knows what we need. It's one thing to cause a big ruckus, but it's another thing to have a solution. Today's society is filled with causing a ruckus. I told you, I see it all the time. You've been doing this all wrong. This is the right way to do it. Like, oh, okay. But no solution. Look at verses 19 through 21. As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in to him and dine with him and he will dine with me. To him who overcomes, I'll grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sit down with my father and sat down with my father on his throne. Listen. You know what Jesus' clear solution is? Repent. Listen. It means turn away. Just don't talk about it. Just don't acknowledge it. That's part of it. But turn away. And listen. And be serious about it. 
and let's be serious about it. Jesus knocks on the door first. The Laodiceans had gone to a place where they didn't recognize his knock. Nor could they hear it at all. Maybe they had the TV on too loud. Maybe they didn't want to hear it at all. When you know someone's coming to visit, you shut the blinds, lock the doors, and make believe like no one's home. Am I right? They not only didn't recognize his knock. When my wife comes, if, if she gets home after I do, and, and she's at the door, I can tell it's her. By the mannerism, the way the doorknob moves and all. So I don't have to like just jump all over the place. Who's at, who's at the door? Jesus then appeals to them after he knocks. He appeals to them. He calls to them. If you hear my voice, he says. In John 10, Jesus said, I know my sheep. And my sheep hear my voice. And they follow me because they know my voice. The Laodiceans had lost track of Jesus' voice. Not only had they not recognized him because he was on the other side of the door, because they didn't open the door, but they didn't hear his voice at all. They didn't hear his voice at all. My son the other day came to visit. He hasn't been over in quite a while. And he, was, he knocked on the door, and I heard the door knocking, and I, my attention was aroused. But then he opened, and he said, Dad, hey, Dad, I'm here. So as soon as he said, hey, Dad, I'm here, I didn't have to jump out of my seat to say, who's coming out the door? I recognized his voice, and then my memory all of a sudden reconnected with, I know how he opens the door. I know if he's jiggling the keys or if he's ringing the bell or if he's just sitting there waiting. And my memory recollected. But I recognized the voice, and I didn't have to say someone's trying to break in, if you will. Not only had they not recognized him because they didn't open the door, they didn't hear his voice. Listen. There's so many voices out there today. So many voices that want your attention, your affection. We have to blot out voices. The more voices there are, the harder it is to hear his voice. We've already missed the knock, and we're not opening because we don't recognize it. Now we don't recognize the voice, or we don't hear it at all. We need to start tuning out some voices so we can hear with clarity because Jesus wants to speak. You know, it's funny. We, we come, we pray, we ask God to show us, and then he wants to, and then we don't hear him because we didn't tune out the other voices. We are quick to jump when other voices speak, but, but we don't jump when Jesus speaks because we don't even hear it. It sounds like everything else. Then he promises if they'll open the door, he'll come in and they'll have fellowship together. You can't have fellowship from afar. You know, Corona's caused us to have fellowship from afar. Zoom is nice, but it just ain't it. You know? It's not a plug for Zoom, by the way. But it's nice, but it's just not the same. You, we can't fellowship with one another from afar, nor can we fellowship with God from afar. He can't be on the other side of the door. You know, when you have a sit-down dinner, it involves a mutual willingness and an intimacy between the parties. 
whether they be two, three, or four. It's not one of those takeout things. Order, scramble to the door, pick it up, and run. But there's a mutual willingness on all the parties. You know what? With Jesus on the inside, there's wonderful fellowship and sharing of the marvelous grace of God. You could blow it all you want all week long, but there's grace at that table. But with Jesus on the outside, there's only broken fellowship and religious duty. God forbid religious duty. God hates religious duty. I don't want your sacrifices, he said. I don't want your high feast noons and all that. I don't want any of that. I want, a, I want a right heart. With Jesus on the outside of the door, whether you hear it, whether you are too busy with it, or whatever the excuse might be, there's only broken fellowship and just religious duty. We don't want that. God doesn't want it. Why would we want it? So, God knows where we live. He calls us, he calls it like he sees it. He knows what we need. He knows what we're really like. And he promises us victory. I told you, the world has complaints, but doesn't offer solutions. Jesus says, I'll give you victory. He doesn't just complain. He points things out and then he goes, here's the solution. Look at verse 22. He who has an ear, let him hear with the spirit. Don't you say to the churches, Fill in your name over there. Fill in your name where it says to the churches, to me. He who has an ear to hear, let him, let her hear. Listen, I'm going to close with this. There's three types of hearers, whether it be today, tomorrow, last week, in the, in the, uh, the first century, whatever it might be, in the years to come. Three types of hearers. The cold ones. They hear the message. It doesn't affect them at all. They come. They go. Nothing changes. The needle doesn't move. Nothing. I've done my deal. I'm out the door. i got things to take care of today. As a matter of fact, this was just kind of blip on the screen today. Then there's the hot. The heart is usually the one, are usually the ones who respond to the message, whether it's for them or not. They're usually the ones who say, God, how can I be more like you? They're usually the ones who say, God, what else can I do for you? When it's really not for them, so to speak. Because, but their heart is receptive to what God has. That's where we get that 20-80 thing. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. But, but, but put it in the spiritual category. 20% of the people are keeping the church afloat, spiritually speaking, and 80% of the people are just cruising along on a lazy river. They're the ones who are moved. They're the ones who are stirred like usual, but not, the, not necessarily has anything to do with them. Then you have the third category that we're dealing with today, the lukewarm. They'll say, wow, what a good message. That's where it ends. That's where it ends. Or they'll say, you know, I wish Harry and I wish Sally were here to hear this. They'd love this. Hello? Are you hearing? Or they'll say, well, it doesn't really apply to me that much. I'm pretty good. I'm doing okay. I think Pastor Richie quoted a while back that, that song that... Um, 
and I forgot the person who came out. He says, I'm okay, and all that. Really, we got to look in the mirror a little closer because we're really not. I'm doing good, he says, she says. I've been there, I've done this, I've volunteered, I've done all those things. Okay, so now what? Jesus accused the Laodiceans of just doing it without spirit's power, without doing it out of a sincere heart. It was just a ritual. It was just something else they did as a social engagement. God forbid, God help us. Jesus promises one final appeal. He gives one final appeal. Listen, to some, it could be their very last appeal. It could be their very last appeal. Because, listen, there's going to come a day when there will be no other appeals. You know, in today's uh, uh, legal system, you can keep appeal until who knows when. Whether it went for you or it didn't go for you. Both sides can keep appealing, keep appealing until they exhaust every part. Listen, there's coming a day when there aren't any appeals. Over. Done. So, hot? Cold? Lukewarm? Which one? Remember. Let me close with this. Jesus knows where we live. Jesus calls it like he sees it. Jesus knows what we're really like. Jesus knows what we really need. Jesus promises victory. Jesus gives one final appeal. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you this morning that your Holy Spirit, Lord, wants to speak to us. It's not the words, but it's the Spirit of God that quickens and makes alive. You know where we're at, Lord. You know what we need. You know that it's you that we desire after. And the only way to do it is if we'll allow you to do what you need to do, what you want to do in us and through us. And this morning we pray that we would leave this place like those that are hot. Not those that are cold and not those that are lukewarm. But Lord, what do you want to do in me? Lord, what do you want to do through me? For your kingdom's glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, Pastor Mike.